0: Well, good morning. I know most of you looked at our passage this morning and thought to yourself, "Wow, he's got less verses than chapters than he preached the last time." So, hopefully, we won't go an hour and fifteen minutes today. How about that? Uh, Let's let's try for that. I want to start off with a story here, um, and uh, just just an illustration of of maybe our passage this morning, but. there once was a woman whose, whose husband went away to war. Um, and uh, one of the things that the, the USO and, and different organizations that help our military out um, do a decent job of is making sure that, that families have a picture of the, uh, of the individual who's going away to war. And uh, this woman uh, got one of these pictures. And um, as she, she sent her husband off to war, um, she noticed this picture um, on uh, their bedroom on her hope chest and she, um, she, she just took the picture as she was going to bed that first night and she took it and she put it on his nightstand where he usually sleeps. Um, and she woke up in the morning and she said, you know what, um, this, this kind of feels right. Uh, She she grabbed the picture and she took it downstairs with her uh, to to breakfast. And she put the picture right where her husband usually sits in the morning for breakfast. And she had breakfast with the picture. And she felt like this felt right. So she had some some errands to run and and she was leaving and she looked at the picture and she said, you know what? It, It would be great if my husband were with me. So she grabbed the picture. She, she put it on the passenger seat of the car. She got in and she, she turned the car on and she looked and she was like, well, I don't want anything to happen to him. So she reached over, grabbed the seatbelt and she buckled the picture in. She got done her errands and she thought to herself, I'm gonna go to the park. So she goes to get out of the car and she looks at the picture and she said, it would be great if my husband went with me. So she grabbed the picture and she took it with her in the park and she had a nice walk with her husband's picture in the park. Well, months go by and the day finally comes where her husband returns from war. And uh, he comes home and she's so excited. She embraces him. He is exhausted from his long journey coming home from war um, and um, he, he heads up to the bedroom to go to sleep. And as he's about to lay his head down on his pillow, he notices that the picture is right on his nightstand. And he's like, oh, that's, it was, used to be up here, but now it's on my nightstand. I guess, I guess that's a little different. And he, he falls asleep. And because he has, he, has, he has just traveled this long journey, he sleeps in the next morning. And when he wakes up, the first thing he smells are eggs and bacon and he looks over and he notices that his wife is is not in the bed and he thinks to himself, "Oh my goodness, she loves me so much that she woke up early and made me breakfast." And he doesn't notice that there's there's something missing, but he goes downstairs and when he gets to the to his seat at the table. And any of you guys have a seat? I have a seat at my table, right? That's that's my seat. He gets to his seat, he notices that there's a picture sitting in his seat. And his wife is sitting there and she's eating at her seat. And he thinks she's joking around. And he's like, huh, that's funny. He's like, but but I'm here now. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. She's like, it's just, it's a routine that I got into while you were gone. And he says, okay. And he goes to grab the picture to to move it because he's there. But she says, no, no, no. Just just leave it there. You, you sit over here. And he looks at her funny and he's like, come on, really? She's like, just, just for me, just do it. So the husband says, okay. He sits in a different seat and he eats his breakfast. And she said, hey, I, I think it would be nice if we went to the park today. So he says, great. So he goes upstairs to get dressed and everything. And, and he hears the car start. And it's the summertime, and he thinks to himself, oh, she probably turned the air on for me. So he goes down to to the car, and he goes to get in the car, and he's about to sit down, and she's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Because he's about to sit on the picture that's in the passenger seat. She grabs it real quick, and she says, here, hold this. And he's like, okay, like the whole way? And she's like, yeah, just hold it. So they get to the park, and he goes to put the picture in the back seat. And she says, no, 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 bring it with us. And he turns to her and he says, honey, I'm here. Like, why do we need this picture? And she looks at him confused because she wants both. She got used to this picture of him, but now that he is really here, she's actually robbing herself of the enjoyment of having him there. And in our passage this morning, this is sort of the issue that these Colossians are, are being faced with. They, are not, they have not bought into this idea, but there are false teachers that are coming in and they're telling them, yeah, it's great that you have Jesus, but you need Jesus and this. And the things that they're telling them that they need are shadows of what Jesus actually is. You see that picture? That picture was just a resemblance of her actual husband, but she couldn't let go of it. And she thought to herself, well, if my husband's good, then my husband and a picture is probably better. So let's read our passage this morning here. Uh, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Starting in Verse 16, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you with question of food or drink or in regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and holding fast the head from which the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, growing with a growth that is from God. Father God, Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, I pray right now that you would be honored and glorified by the preaching of your word. Um, God, that, that you would be the focus. Um, God, that it would not be anything else that is said this morning other than your word. Use your spirit to soften hearts as we humbly uh, learn together in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 16 starts off with a word, and that word is therefore... I'm sure you've heard preachers before talk about this word, therefore, or so, um, and it's referring to what has happened already, and you'll see in your outline this morning, um, we have a section of things to remember that we've already learned in the book of Colossians here in the first two chapters, uh, chapter 1 and then chapter 2 up to verse 15 here, but we've learned about the preeminence of Christ here, and these are just some of the things that we've learned about the preeminence of Christ. It's not everything that we've learned, but it is uh, the, the pertinent stuff to, to what we're going to talk about this morning. So Christ is the image of the invisible God in which the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the creator of the visible and the invisible. He is the one who places authorities and rulers um, in in their positions. He is before all things, and all things are held together by him. And he's also the firstborn of the dead, the head of all rule and authority. I think, I think the second thing that we have, to, we have to remember here is who are the Colossians, okay? Uh, one of the things that Paul says to the Colossians is that he never stops thanking God for them and for, for the work that God has done through them. Um, and I think that's important, and Pastor Stephen pointed that out, that it's not just them. It's not that they are good enough, it's not that they are strong enough, it's the work that God is doing through uh, these Colossians here. Um, So he thanks them, uh, thanks God for, for the work that God is doing through them, but he tells them that in their past that they were once hostile in mind, that they were doing evil deeds and alienated from God. So the past of the Colossians is all of these things: doing evil deeds, alienated from God um, and uh, hostile in mind towards God. And finally, we have to remember the power of God. This is God's response to these alienated, hostile, evil-doing people here. God showed them grace. He sent Christ to reconcile uh, them to God through Jesus' death. He qualified. Them. We'll talk about that this morning. He qualified them uh, to be transferred to a better kingdom, a better inheritance than the one that they had. He raised both Christ and them through Christ from the dead to new life by canceling the legal demand of our debt, setting it aside, and nailing it to the cross. And that's exactly what we saw last week. So then we get to this word, Therefore. And what I would say is, therefore, since Christ is preeminent, since we as human beings, when left to our own devices, are are unworthy and unable to overthrow God because he is the one, ultimately, who puts rulers and authorities in their place. And because of the power and the work of God, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. Now I wanna I want to focus on this idea of passing judgment on these Colossians, who have now been what? Qualified by God. Pastor Stephen shared with us not only have they been qualified, they've been rooted and established and built up and taught. All by God. God is doing these work, this work. He is performing the circumcision without hands on these individuals. And he's doing it all through Christ. But there's these teachers that come in. And they say, well, good. You have Christ. But you need Christ and this. Christ plus this. And you will experience a greater life in Christ. You will be more sanctified in Christ. And he says, let no one pass judgment on you. Uh, we just got done reading, um, Billy just got done reading uh, verse 15 here. Um, but I want to ask a few, a few questions here and they're sort of leading questions, but um, who are the judges that, are, that exist today in this world? I'm not talking about God, but who are the judges? Who are the people who have the authority to, to judge in this world? The first one's obvious. Judges, right? Judges have the, have the ability. Who else? I would say, to a point, police officers make judgment calls, Right? Um, They determine whether you're speeding or, or not speeding. Eventually, it might go before a judge, but they are the ones that make judgment calls. Rulers and authorities in this world are the ones that make judgment calls. Our government leaders are the ones who make judgment calls. So my next question to you is, who in this world, not talking about God again, judged Jesus? Well, the rulers, the Pharisees, those who were in charge, the Sanhedrin, um, Pilate to an extent. Uh, I know that gets to be a little bit of a gray area when we look in John uh, chapter eighteen and nineteen. There, he kind of judges, kind of doesn't judge. He's just kind of wishy-washy, you know, in the end about the whole thing. But they they judge Jesus based on their rules. And their laws. What were, the, what were the accusations that they brought against Jesus as it pertained to Rome? What was the big one? They to be another king. Other than Caesar. There's actually a point in John chapter 19 where the, the Pharisees cry out. And they're like, if you don't crucify him, you are no friend of Caesar. That's what they tell Pilate. They're trying to twist his arm. They're trying to to cause him to pass a judgment here. According to their laws, the reason he needed to die is because he, quote, made himself the son of God. He proclaimed to be the son of God. And blasphemy was what they would have said he was guilty of. So my question is this. Who is the real judge? Well, it's God. God. And when God looked at the work that Christ had performed in this world, the life that he lived, even though the human rulers and principalities of this world said death, God put them to open shame by using their verdict of death for his glory and his purposes. And he reversed the verdict. He put them to open shame you're going to kill Jesus. Well, guess what? He's not going to stay dead. He flipped the script on them and they were embarrassed by it. They were shamed by it. Why? Because the rulers and authorities in this world are nothing compared to God. So in Colossians chapter 2 here, when he says, let no one pass judgment on you. Why? Because Christ has already done the work. God has qualified you. He has rooted you. He has established you, and no one can judge you or disqualify you as we will see coming up here if all of these things are true, the greatest, most powerful being in this world has already qualified us. But these teachers come in and they get these these ideas in their head and they start looking around at these Colossians. And they're like, yeah, Jesus is great, but if you were really spiritual, you would maybe not eat this or abstain from drinking this or maybe you should keep this festival or that festival or this new moon or hey let's bring back some of the laws of the sabbath and by these these indications here by by stating these specific things i i think it is no mistake that we're supposed to see these individuals as jewish leaders because that's these are all of the things the Jewish leaders would have insisted on. Now, they may have said that they have come to Christ here, but the gospel that they are preaching is doing nothing more than exactly what the Pharisees did to the Jews during the time of Jesus. They are heaping additional burdens on them. Just as we saw Jack uh, last week carry all of those bags up here. They are trying to place additional burdens on these people. And the question we need to ask is why? And we will talk about that in a second here. But the issue is food and drink, festivals and new moons and a Sabbath. What these preachers are preaching here is that you can be Satisfied by shadows, you, Christian, can be satisfied by shadows. and this is our, our first point here. Um, now here's, here's kind of the sticky situation here. When it comes to food and drink, uh, there was a time that the Jews, uh, the people of God, Israel, was to abstain for these th- from these things. There was a time when it came to days. That they were to keep those things. But they were all meant for a specific purpose. The dietary restrictions uh, not only were just because God said don't eat these things. There were some some huge medical benefits that the, the people of God received from not eating meat during that time. Certain types of meat the days that they observed, the festivals that they observed were all supposed to point them to the coming Messiah. They were good things in and of themselves. They were, they were not bad. They are not evil, evil things. And it would sound good to those early Christians. These are things that would sound very good. How do we know that all of these things are um, just as as God said they were? Well, food or drink, if you read Leviticus chapter 11, there's all of your, your dietary restrictions, almost all of them included in one chapter right there. Festivals, you can look at Leviticus chapter 25 and find the list of festivals that they were supposed to keep. In regards to the new moon, Isaiah talks about this idea in the very first chapter about the the idea of the new moon and what what Jews were supposed to do during this, this, this time of the year. These are all things that God ordained for a time. The problem is the substance has come and these teachers are coming in and they're heaping additional burdens just like the woman is carrying that picture around. Her husband has already returned, but she still wants to hold on to the picture. The real issue is at the heart of these uh, shadows and and, uh, things to come here, the heart of these teachers is something that we've battled for years and years in our churches, and it's this idea of legalism. See, Jesus... Plus legalism equals judgmentalism. It breeds an attitude of judgmentalism. We could look around the room. Everybody take a look around the room right now. Take a look. Who are you dressed better than? (laughs) Julie's like, nobody's dressed better than me. (laughs) Julie Manwar. She gave me a look. But we can judge, right? We can judge based on our, our clothes. We can judge based on what we eat or drink, right? I mean, I can't tell you how, for how long we've had the, the alcohol debate in our, our local churches, right? If you go out to a restaurant and you see John Ritchie enjoying a choice beverage here, might be that tendency to judge John based on what he's drinking. When I worked at, at the car dealership, uh, you, guys, you guys might laugh, but um, everyone at the car dealership knew that I was a Christian and uh, we would often order food on Fridays. Um, it had been many years since I observed some of the traditions of the Catholic Church because I, I came to know uh, Jesus as my personal Savior. But on Fridays, we'd order from the Italian place. And I loved me some chicken parm. And I, just without even thinking, not intentionally, I'd be like, I want the chicken parm hoagie. Give me the chicken parm hoagie. And whoever was taking the order would look up at me and say, you're going to eat meat on Friday? And I was like, yeah. Like, what's the problem? The problem is that they looked at me and they judged me and they said, wait a minute. You who are so close to God, you who, who have devoted your life to, to Jesus would eat meat? On Friday, yeah, let no one pass judge you based on food or drink. The problem with legalism is that it actually feels good sometimes to know, oh, well, I did X, Y, and Z. Oh, I I followed these rules, and therefore, I'm ready to go. You know what, guys? I am going to give up chocolate on Tuesdays. Not only am I going to give up chocolate on Tuesdays, no more pork products for me. No more pork products for me. And and what I'm going to do is uh, from Friday night at sundown to Saturday morning at sundown, I'm doing nothing. When all my friends are out having a good time, I'm doing nothing. And guess what? Sunday morning, I will be the first one here. Jesus is going to get my entire weekend Okay, I'm going to get my entire weekend and I am going to be so spiritual, people will start calling me Captain Christian. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go. It feels good looking around. Oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You remember the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector in the synagogue? Where the Pharisee is is, is standing there and he's saying, oh God, thank you. Thank you for not making me like this sinner, this tax collector. Legalism, judgmentalism, it goes hand in hand. Paul says here, let no one pass judgment on you. This idea of just tell me what to do. There is something comforting there. You know, the Bible's very clear that um, it's not what goes into a man, food or drink that defiles him. It's what comes out. The Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells us that. I believe it's Mark chapter 7. He says it's not what goes into a man, it's what comes out. Unfortunately for these false teachers here, what's coming out of their mouths is what's defiling these perverse preachers. They're taking the gospel and they are perverting it. And they're heaping burdens that aren't needed on the people. They speak instead of of mice and men, they speak of diets and of days. Why? Why do they do this? Why are they heaping burdens on these Christians who are already been made free? Well, we continue on here. Colossians chapter two, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. The first part of this this verse here, he says, let no one disqualify you. Colossians chapter one, verse 12. We learned that God has already qualified us. We just talked about the fact that Jesus and God are the ones who are in charge of the rulers and authorities. They have placed them in this spot for a reason. And no one is to pass judgment on you trying to disqualify you. Based on what? Asceticism and the worship of angels. What in the world is asceticism? Well, asceticism is basically self-abasement. It's beating yourself. It's beating yourself up in order to gain some type of merit with God. In order to gain some kind of better standing with God. Now, I'm sure you've all heard stories of monks who, who take a vow of, of silence um, or, or priests who take a vow of celibacy or monks who, who beat themselves um, you know, uh, in, the, in the monastery and they're trying to buffet their body because bodily exercise is profitable for a few things, but, uh, but uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual exercise is profitable for all things, as Timothy says, and that is a distortion of that verse. But I think we need to be careful with this asceticism. Because I think for some of us, our theology may play into this a bit. See, one thing that I've even said here this morning is that in and of ourselves, we're not worth a whole lot as far as earning our way to heaven. And we do talk about the total depravity of man. The fact that man left to his own devices is not good. He's not even remotely good. And we know this about ourselves. The problem is when we start to warp that idea a bit. And that idea not only becomes about uh, getting to heaven, but it's it's about how God views me now that I have been qualified. And we beat ourselves We beat ourselves up over sin, over sin, over sin. And there is a part that we are to feel guilty about our sin. What What does David say in the Psalms? If you wanted sacrifice, I would give you sacrifice. But a broken heart and a contrite spirit is what you desire. There is that. But then there is taking it to a new level to where you start to apply that to not only God, but everyone else around you. For decades now, our society has been plagued by asceticism. And I know some of you struggle with it. Um, Not just mentally and emotionally, even though that that is serious, but some of you have turned to physically harming yourselves. And some of you parents out there You will deal with your kids struggling with this. My encouragement to you is the same encouragement that's in the book of Colossians here that Jesus is enough. Jesus' work has been enough. That God has qualified us, He has established us, He has rooted us. My prayer for you this morning if you're struggling with this, beating yourself up, hurting yourself, Turn to Jesus. Look to the cross and the work that was done. You can stop beating yourself up because Jesus already took the beating for you. Asceticism has no profit whatsoever. Hierarchy, worship of angels here. This is sort of the same principle here. What these teachers are doing are trying to get the Colossians low. Beaten down and burdened so that they can elevate themselves. This is dictatorship 101. You bring the people low so that they depend on you for everything. Uh, My sister-in-law, Jen, is in Cambodia. Um, And several years ago, after the Vietnam War, uh, they faced a mass genocide in that country. Uh, What the government, the Khmer Rouge at the time, did was they gathered all of these smart people. If you had a college degree, if you worked for the previous government, if you, Gary, I'm sorry, if you had glasses on, uh, you were considered intelligent. And they gathered them all up and they killed them. And they took everyone else, they got them out of the cities, they took them into the jungles and the deserts, and they made them work. And they created all of these work camps. They brought the people low and elevated themselves. What these teachers are doing is they are bringing the people low with legalism and burdens. And they are, what what does the verse say here? They are puffing up themselves with their own visions. Where is the source of their visions? Is it God? No, it's their own sensuous mind. Are you seduced by secrets? Is there a secret way to get closer to God? that you just haven't figured out yet. Well, Colossians chapter two, verses one through four tells us where all the secrets are. Colossians chapter two, verses one, one through four. For I, do, uh, uh, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea. For we all have, seen, uh, have not seen face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul's going to say it here. I'm going to jump ahead, but Paul's going to say it here right now. If you are looking to a person to reveal the secrets of God to you, if you have bought into a, and, and listen, I'm guilty of this at times too, if you have bought into a theological system and you are looking to that system to give you answers, maybe you're disconnected. What is greater? Is it Christ? Or is it your theological system? What do you love to discuss with one another? I will tell you this, guys. As a younger man, I loved getting into theological debates. It was great. It was interesting. It was fun. As an older man now, and I can finally say I think I'm an older man at 42. Some of you may laugh at that. But as an older man now, I just want to be with Christ. I just want to be with Christ. One of our rock and roll poets said it. I was so much younger then, I'm older than that now. Let that sink in for a second. Because I just want to be with Christ. Asceticism, hierarchy. I'm going to be blunt and honest here, guys. When I read these verses, I do get upset. Um, I get troubled in my soul. Because for years, I grew up Roman Catholic And I look at verses like this, and I say to myself, how? See, what these teachers are doing, again, is creating a hierarchy. That, no, 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 you don't have direct access to God. You go through me, I go through this special angel, and then they go to God. There's some debate over what this word angel means. I, think, uh, I do think the, the book of uh, Hebrews kind of elaborates on it. I do think they are literally worshipping angels. But they're worshipping heavenly beings. And I've made the case before through a plausible argument to some of you, playing a little bit of devil's advocate, but the prayer to Mary and the prayer to saints that the Catholics do. I've talked about the body of Christ. Say, well, who's in the body of Christ? Well, saints that are here today, saints that have existed in the past, and saints that are in the future. They're all a part of the body of Christ. Catholics just believe that the body can communicate beyond the dead. And because these saints are positionally closer to God, They can bring your intercessions directly to God. How do you get forgiven of your sin? Well, you go through a priest who then goes to God and gives you an act of penance that you have to do. This is just personal for me. Now you may be sitting here and you might be Roman Catholic. You may be listening here and you might be Roman Catholic. I'm not going to shy away. I don't find some of the practices that the Roman Catholics do. I don't find them anywhere in Scripture. As a matter of fact, the more I read Scripture, the more I find direct contradictions. 2 Timothy tells us that there is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. The accounts, Of the of the death and resurrection of of Jesus here. The accounts, what happens to that temple curtain? It's torn in two. We as qualified children of God who are rooted and established in Christ now have direct access to God because of the work done on the cross and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our sin has been laid aside. When God sees me, he no longer sees me. He sees the blood of Christ on me, and I have been justified in his sight. I don't need Pastor Stephen. I do need Pastor Stephen at times. I like Pastor Stephen. I love having him in my life. He is an incredible blessing to me, and as I imagine, he's an incredible blessing to all of us. But none of us need to go to Stephen in order... To get access to God, if we know Christ, we can go directly to the source. And that's the great thing. It is such a burden that is lifted off of us. Going in detail about visions puffed up by their own sensuous mind. The source of, of all of their stuff is a, a sensuous mind. And, and this was another issue that they were dealing with this idea of Gnosticism, this idea that there was a secret knowledge, that there was a knowledge beyond what God has revealed in His Word that we needed to somehow figure out. Hidden knowledge that only these specific teachers had. Again, it's just creating a hierarchy. We've heard story after story in, in Christendom here of, of leaders who have fallen because they've created a hierarchy. Well, you have to come to me to understand what the Bible means. Friends, I want to tell you, if you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ, I would like to publicly apologize for my brothers and sisters in the body who have portrayed Christianity to you as a list of do's and don'ts, just check off these boxes and you're going to be fine. It's a lie. I want to publicly apologize to you for those leaders who have publicly elevated themselves, who have puffed up themselves as some sort of spiritual uh, fountain of, of wisdom and they are the only ones that can interpret scripture. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're given the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, and the Holy Spirit reveals truth to you. It gives you understanding of the scriptures. Christianity is not a joyless, legalistic hierarchy. It is not a religion Stop calling it a religion. Jesus, the biggest issue he had with people on this earth were religious peoples. They are not, this is not a religion. It is a relationship that we now have with God. The whole book of Exodus, what did we say? God's desire was to dwell with his people. When you dwell with someone, you have a relationship with them. God wants your heart. He doesn't just want your behavior, your actions, your mind. He wants all of you, but he wants your heart. And the great news is that he will circumcise your heart with hands that are not human hands. He will give you a new heart. The work is on him, not on us. Lay these burdens down. They're worthless. Verse 19, this is where these teachers have gone wrong and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. See these These teachers of the law here, what they did, uh, these, these false teachers who are trying to bring the law here, what they have done is at one point they may have been focused on Christ. They may have had their eyes turned to Jesus here, but now they have looked away. And they've taken their own system, their own ideas, the own, their own visions, and they've puffed them up in their mind to make something that is nowhere in Scripture. And to bring people low and elevate themselves. They have disconnected from the source. This is our last point. Are you secure in the source? Are you secure, are you sec- I'm sorry, are you secured to the source? See, Christ is the head of the church. We just read in Colossians that all wisdom and teaching is included in Christ. The fullness of God was in him. And it was pleased to dwell in him he is the creator of heaven and earth he is the head of the body you do not have to be a doctor you don't have to be a doctor here today to know that if you lose your head what happens you die okay there's many medical conditions that we can survive there's many body parts that we can lose and survive. If I lose my pinky, I may not die, okay? I, I, can, I can cover it up and, and stop the bleeding and cauterize it and, you know, do everything I need to do to stop it. I no longer have a gallbladder, okay? It's gone. They took it from me while I was sleeping. I don't know. I want it back. Um, I don't have a, I'm still alive. If I lose my head, though, I'm, I'm gone. This is the picture that, that Paul is giving us once you look away, once you turn to something else and that becomes your focus, you start to develop neurological paths in your own mind. You start to solidify those. And those then interpret how you read scripture. And that is the issue that we're facing here with these false teachers coming in and talking to these Colossians. That they've puffed themselves up from their source, their own mind. Colossians tells us here in verse 19 that the source that we're to be connected to is the head. Because the whole body is knit together by the head. Paul says earlier in Colossians, he thanks God because they have been knit together in love. I started earlier in this and I said, listen, I'm done with the theological debates. I'm done. I want to just be with Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Very familiar portion of scripture, at least the beginning of it. But what does it look like to be connected to the source? What does the Christian life really look like? I shared with you, it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. What does it look like to be plugged into the source, to be secured to the source? Romans chapter 12, verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to the head. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does it look like to be connected to the source? Here's what it looks like, guys. In every situation that God puts you in, love. Love, that's your job. Be connected to the source and love. Forget about your schedule. Forget about your American human rights. Be connected to the source. The one who was the king of the greatest kingdom ever came to serve. When it says walk in Christ, if you want a list, here it is. Sit at his feet and serve the Lord. Abhor what is evil. Don't stand by idly. Guys, if we spent more time plugged into the source, how different would our lives be? I know personally I work at a public school. If I was constantly plugged into the source... There's a good chance that I probably wouldn't have a job. And you may lose your job plugged into the source. Is it worth it? Or, like these false teachers, are you somehow in your own mind going to turn and disconnect from the source? Here's my encouragement to you if you're here today and you know Christ as your Savior, Cling to the source. That's our big idea. I never said it today. But let go of legalism and cling to Christ. You don't know what to do in a situation, your day isn't going according to your plan. Cling to Christ. For me personally, somebody cuts me off on the road, I want vengeance. I'm going to tell you right now, I need to cling to Christ. I need to stay connected. Cling to Christ. Be patient in tribulation. Cling to Christ. If you don't know Jesus here today and you're just trying to go it on your own, here's what I want you to know. I was once sitting right where you are. I was alienated in mind. I was doing evil. Alienated from God. Seeking only my own pleasures. What that ultimately would earn me is death and eternal alienation from God. God sent his son to die for you. And by his grace, when he died, he took our sins with him. He nailed them to the cross and he laid them aside. And for those who believe in him, for those who accept this simple truth That all throughout scripture, the shadows were pointing to one God-man that would come, whose name would be Wonderful Counselor, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the one who saves, the Messiah. If we believe in that, we can be reconciled, just as the book of Colossians tells us. Today may be the day for you. Be reconciled to God and cling to the source. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, Lord, your words are so much better than my words. God, my prayer for Christians today all across this country, not just in this room here, is that we would stop clinging to legalism. Lord, that we would let go of it. Lord, even though it feels good to do certain things and it may seem spiritual, Lord, you are the one who does the sanctifying. God, you are the one who does the saving. Lord, to the one who is here today, God, I just pray that no longer would they be alienated to you. God, that you would call them to yourself today by using your word to penetrate their hearts. God, we do not come with plausible arguments. Lord, we come bearing your word. God, I pray this morning that that is what changes lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.